0: Welcome to the Growing Pains podcast where we are helping millennials get out of adult adolescence one candid conversation at a time. I am your host Moki Musau. I am joined again by my very good friend Ann Harrington and um how how are we doing?
1: Doing good. Excited to do episode 2.
0: Right on. Likewise. And uh where it's it uh it gets it gets pretty intense around here and uh Uh, brains will be steaming uh, towards the end but before we get into the nitty-gritty we got to talk about uh, about dogs and um, I know last week we you know I had been seeing lots of dogs Mm -hmm. but I wasn't able to 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 pet them they're always Uh. with their owners and like COVID and blah 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 but this week it, it happened I went to the office for the first time in like three months and I'm walking out and there's a, there's a, he's a commercial broker that's like right near the entrance. I've never met this guy before in my life. I didn't even know he had an office there. Divine appointment. What? Come on now. I'm walking out and I turn around to say goodbye to the, um, to our concierge and I see an English bulldog. Oh in Neil's office.
1: Oh, stop my heart.
0: So I go in and uh, I, you know, I, like, you know, I greet him, whatever. And uh, he's a three, the not Neil, the dog, <laughs> Boo <Boo-boo>.
1: Boo. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs>
0: it's a three-year-old English bulldog. And I petted that thing like I've never petted a dog before in my life. It was one of the, it was one of the highlights of my day. And, uh, I've seen like tons and tons of dogs ever like this past week since we, since we talked. Um, but this was, and this was on, on Friday. So it was like an end of the week kind of gift to myself, um, from, from God, I guess. So that's my, that's my dog thing.
1: Bless the Lord. Oh my gosh. Well, mine, mine's a little less exciting than that, I guess, but I, I still feel like it was, um, from, from the father I uh so I got a free bike this week and um went in found a bike shop that could tune it up so brought it in to have it tuned up walk in and I'm greeted by this pit bull that's probably I don't know how those things are just pure muscle what does he weigh like 50 pounds He's like a foot and a half tall (laughs) and uh just kind of like ambles over and sniffs me and then ambles back to the couch and hops up on the couch and just lays down flops down and um just kind of stares <laughs> at me while I'm talking to his owner about my bike and oh, he was the sweetest. And a rescue. And oh, uh, that's, it. that's that's the dream. I mean, yeah. I would, um, I would love a rescue pit bull. I think, yeah, I think Gosh. You know, one man. day, Lord willing,
0: I'm telling you, it's oh man, 2021 might be the year mm. I might have to. Um, well, speaking of dogs we got to get into the nitty gritty. We got to get into (laughs) this, um, into this conversation. So just recapping last week, we talked about the equation for wisdom, which is um, knowledge and experience and reflection are really the three pillars that um, create the conditions for, uh, for wisdom to, I think the, I like the imagery of wisdom to arise in that you don't Mm -hmm. like you don't you don't personally make it happen
1: yeah it
0: it is something that is created um and so you know so we talked about that and then and and really i mean we went deep you know like it was intense talking about cognitive behavioral therapy cbt intermediate intermediate beliefs core beliefs and We talked about the social forces and external forces outside of our control, along with the control that we have. Uh, And, and, and we centered a lot around experience, but that's, I mean, that's, that's natural, right? Mm. We have to talk in large part about our experience because, you know, we're all living on the same planet earth. We're all weighed down by gravity. You know, it's, it's, and we're all receiving this the it's in many ways the same data from the outside world but it's the, our interpretation of the data now that is what really makes us you know it takes us from being animals and now to being you know rational you
1: know, mm-hmm. creatures right mm-hmm. that that is
0: it yep. um so <clears throat> so we talked about that and and this week you know, we are talking about you know uh, you know iterations of that equation that bring about less than ideal communities or states of affairs. So this week we're talking about, you know, what what do you get when you when you have only experience and reflection without knowledge. What what do you get? And off air, you know, you um had to succumb to like a very long like a very long tangent of me <laughs> trying to nail this down and what it is when you have your experience and reflection without knowledge you get a a purely subjective way of living and what by that what i mean is that the the kind of conclusions that one reaches from your experience are are tied to your experience primarily so that if for example i want to you know use my my life for example i went to youth youth group camp right you got youth retreats and different things like that and you know the the kind of experience of reality or if you want to call it truth you know that came from th- that event in order to in order to um achieve that or in order to engage with that i needed the event we can talk even about knowledge right like the knowledge you know like knowledge of god or or like religious knowing uh it i needed the event in order to have that kind of knowing right and so the 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 vision or the view of what is real um and i'm not getting all like i'm not getting I'm not talking about like, you know, um, analytic philosophy here in terms of like what is real, but more in right. terms of like what I, I, I experience from the outside world is tied to an experience that has no greater or bigger, more stable, um, more stable like foundation or a stable uh, criteria that can help me to know that truth or know that reality without the experience of that event
1: Mm, yeah it's almost almost like access to the truth that you experience requires the experience
0: like exactly requires
1: that event right um yeah yeah
0: Right. right and i mean you know you you gotta you gotta help make this thing um understandable for for everyone else and also for me too but you know I just I feel like this is like a very um and by no means you know this I'm I'm no like therapist or mental health anything but it feels like it's this is a very um uh, dopamine uh heavy way of life Mm, because it's very much focused on the need for some kind of out of the ordinary uh, encounter for the purpose of acquiring a form of knowledge. Say that again. I wish I could. Okay. (laughs) But no, it's like you you need the encounter of – so because – when when you have like youth camp or whatever you know that I went there and I did the thing and then I'm like and, and there was there was a form of knowledge that came from that Yeah, right? I did yeah. I did acquire some knowledge from that where um I could I I I I knew more about either the world or myself from from that right so there was a knowledge that was acquired however there is a there's a connection or a connection is made in my mind where in order to have that knowledge, and this is where I think it becomes crazy, is in order to have even knowledge at all, I need to have this out of the ordinary encounter. And by ordinary, I don't mean like raving and going crazy, but yeah. rather you need to almost like step outside of the mundane.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, What do you think, maybe this is going to take us in an area that we don't want to go yet, but I do, I do think it is important to acknowledge, acknowledge that, that there are events and experiences that can be totally paradigm shifting and for the better. Right. And that experience is, and I, I mean, I've had those experiences in my life mm-hmm. where I'm like, okay, everything is different now. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. This right. flipped the paradigm that I was living from mm-hmm. on its head. Right. Um, and I had to um, start building a new, building a new paradigm mm-hmm. based on that experience. Right. Um, yeah. So what do you, what do you make of that? What do you do with that?
0: Right. It's, it's true. I think that's right. Um, and it happens all the time. Uh, you know, I, I believe that, you know, some, I think our views of reality are, are changed or at least they're, they're altered. I think incrementally, I think that's a normal way of doing it because we all encounter new data all the time. Um, and you know, you don't, I don't think someone, I think a, a paradigm shifting, um, encounter, I think is a I think is an is is something that's like a culmination of a series of prior events, oh, if you okay. want to call it that, sure. right? Yeah. So yeah. so that
1: conditions f- are there already. exactly right okay. exactly. So
0: sure. I don't think anything is. A, I, I don't believe like there's like blank slates or, um, I guess you want to call you know I would call it like a miracle, um, and by that I mean that I think miracles what what's so like powerful about them. Is that it's it seems like there's there are no like prior events that you know that have created conditions for what is happening, like what happens right now is is simply like out of nowhere,
1: right? Yeah.
0: So when it comes to paradigm shifting, I think what even when something is paradigm shifting, I think what it is is that that itself is a. I think there are two there are two levels here there's the the paradigm shifting like moment or happening is like the subjective experience right of me encountering a new n- new knowledge new something and then now i'm like wow now things things change yeah and then there is the i think the higher level or the higher plane and i think this is where this is what makes the difference is that there's there's this bigger or more like stable the paradigm itself, which is more stable than my experience, which sustains after my experience, or okay. I, yeah. I guess you want to call it like obtain. I think you know it. It it remains what it is without my experience.
1: Yep. Okay. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I'm I'm tracking now. Yep.
0: So, you know, I mean, I, I'll confess outright that this is all like something i'm still like working out in, in, yeah. in my head like it's still you know kind of murky at this but i still i see though that it's 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 really important to realize what like a subjective way of life looks like that because you know you and i both grew up in you know the in, in the evangelical church predominantly conservative
1: conservative I and i think we both grew up in fairly pentecostal circles right, too exactly yeah. exactly
0: and yeah. so this idea of like subjective or subjectivism or even i think well i'll backtrack and put it like this i grew up and the idea of subjective and relative were two different things so because i was a christian or mm. because i love god and all those sorts of things my subjective experience Was almost safe from like a relative, from relativism, or being relative, in the sense like I had no like uh, I had no objective uh, moral grounding, right? And and I think this is what it is. Our like relativism was for me largely uh, tied to um, morality. Yep. And was but in a
1: particular view of scripture.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Things. Yeah. Right. And I th- like this idea. And I, if, if you, if we have, if all, if our primary ways of, of knowing are through experience and reflection without having a, an objective, objective as being more stable than like moment to moment changes, right? Without that, yeah. that we all end up living relativistic lives. Where like our version of truth is tied to the sincerity of our belief about our experiences.
1: Hmm. Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: Like, and I I was and this idea came. I don't know I don't know if it was years ago. It has to have been in the last four years because it was a it was an article I read about uh, Donald Trump, and it was about this idea that you know what really gets people. Like, you know, we, you know, he's lying about this. People know he's lying about that or whatever, but, but people still like believe the guy, they still support the guy and, and all this other stuff. And it was like, what makes that happen? And a lot of people, what really gets them about, about Donald Trump is that for them, he really believes what he's saying. He, he, he really like believes and, and, and he, he stands by his, his convictions, right? So it it doesn't even matter where it's, it doesn't matter as much what the, what his convictions are. It's that this guy, he's, he's so courageous that he's not going to waver, you know, when the quote unquote, the media come and attack him or, or the liberals or whomever, right? And the authors are making the point too, that this is largely how, well, I don't think he, the author made the point directly in the in the article, but for me, when, when I started thinking about it, it became like I, I was noticing how that is a large a very common way that we look at what is true.
1: Yeah right yeah. it's
0: it's I really believe what's going on like last last week we were talking about being in our feelings, right? like in a in a way, like it's it's that like that fervent belief. That my re, like what I am experiencing, my life is. This is it. Yeah. Right. Like this is how things how things are. And if uh, last time you, I think you, you you hinted at this idea of identity, and it's like if it's like if things are not like this, if this is not how reality is, then who I am as a person disintegrates. Right, like my sense of self or identity is so tied to how I believe that things are, that if things are not the way they are, then my sense of identity starts to become, uh, becomes, uh, comes into question, right? Because there's nothing else outside of that, that can help Mm. to give some kind of, uh, like, grounding, if indeed it turns out that my view of things or my sincere belief could actually be problematic.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I think um, I want to circle back really quickly to something you said at the beginning. You were talking about how this is still kind of murky in your head, and I think that that is natural because I don't think that wisdom is a static trait. I think it's a dynamic thing, and and I think that we're all we're all kind of um, growing. We're all on in one of the the areas, whether it's experience, knowledge, or reflection. Right, right. Always, we're not. It's not ever like an even process, and so it's going to be murky because it's not so like um, categorically cut and dried. Right. Um, and I think that relates to kind of what you just said in that it's it's um, like there's nothing wrong with an intense, definitive experience as long as you're as long as you're searching to tie it to something larger than yourself, I think, and larger than, you know, larger than your tribe. You know, we were talking about what mm-hmm. this means for uh, how this mindset impacts communities. Um, and and what is, yeah, where, what are you grounded in that's bigger than um, your, your fervent faith in your own experience? Um, right. Yeah.
0: What do you so there are like few ideas like get me fired up I, the but this the one about like the sincerity of belief gets me fired up because Same. it's so yeah. it, i mean it gets right at the at the heart of the the problem
1: well this is to that point my least favorite phrase in the millennial lexicon is live your truth i despise it <laughs>
0: I don't even know what it means.
1: Oh, well, thank you. First of all, (laughs) first of all, yes. But second of all, like what kind of individualistic world do we have to live in where our truths, our own personal truths based on our own personal experiences, sincerely held beliefs based on reflection that come from those experiences, what world do you live in where that's not going to butt up against someone else's? You know, I can think of so many experiences in my, so many experiences, so many incidents in my life where my personally held beliefs, like you think about any conflict, you know, where you walk away from someone thinking worse of them and they walk away from the conflict thinking worse of you. You're both living your truth, right? You're both living your truth about the experience about the other person. And there's no, you know, so what this, this whole view doesn't result in, in greater transparency, vulnerability, intimacy, mm-hmm. yeah, um, freedom—it mm-hmm. just results in more isolation and loneliness. Right. Because right. yeah, we're inevitably going to have conflict over whose truth right. takes precedence.
0: Right. right. And what's really cool, though, about this idea of living your truth, and is that in and I got this idea, like I read it you know way back in Bonhoeffer, like on a, on a different subject, but uh, the idea that when you, when a group comes together, there are the individuals, there's the individual identities that come together, and then there's this like group identity that comes out. Yeah. And the group identity could actually be a um, a, a more stable, foundation than the individuals yes. themselves. Yes. And so when let's, you know, keeping with the, uh-huh. with the lingo, like I live my truth, you live your truth. And when we both live our truths together in, in a community, there's the conflict that comes from that. And then there's also the synthesis that comes from that as well, which creates this larger truth yes. that encapsulates our individual identities. And that's what's what's, what's really interesting is that our individual identities and truths, which at some point are conflicting, actually have a larger, uh, um, a larger, I like the word canopy, a larger canopy that can house two conflicting truths. And then you bring another person and then another individual with their own truth. And and this canopy continues to expand. And I think that this and 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 i think what we miss by living our truths at the expense of constructive conflict with other truths yes. is we miss the the possibility of a large canopy of truth that can contain conflicting hmm. truths that don't meet a total resolution.
1: Right. I like that. You yeah. see what I
0: mean? So, yeah. and I think like that's where with like where wisdom comes from. I think earlier on mentioning how wisdom arises, right? Yeah. Like it doesn't, you don't make it, it arises. And I think part of that is when you're in a community that has people with different views, different priorities, different goals, beliefs, so on and so forth that are being held together by this larger thing. And it's in that community that then like new like truths that are not simply tied to an individual come up that then are a, uh, almost like a, uh, an artifact of the, of the group. Right, and you know, we're thinking about you know wisdom literature from from the Bible, right? Like this is, this is the the, the wisdom of the community, right? That yeah. that comes from the 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 people of Israel, like you know, struggling to you know be the people of God and struggling with other nations and blah 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 blah, and then this wisdom literature comes up, right? And okay, when I say come up, obviously this is like a divine inspiration that I, you know notwithstanding right
1: <laughs> there, right right right, right. The, yeah
0: there is the sense in which like in in which wisdom arises from from a group yep. i'm not experiencing i'm not I, knowledge doesn't come simply from like myself from within there's an aspect of it that is external and the external portion will bring conflict and that's a part of it That's, that's a, that's a, that's a part of the uh, journey from experience to knowledge, to wisdom.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think we talked about that last time too, is that it's something to fight for and it's something to struggle with because inherently you're going to, and I think this is my other beef with the whole live your own truth thing. You is that we are in people are, Uh, We talk about this in in therapy all the time. In uh, in uh, when we do assessments with people, people are inherently bad self reporters. We are like very unreliable self reporters. Um, We either are like way too easy on ourselves Mm -hmm. and way too optimistic about our behavior and how it impacts other people, and Mm -hmm. um, or way too pessimistic. You know, so we're inherently bad self reporters. So wisdom only only arises in the context of community when you are able to build enough vulnerability and trust with someone that you can let them amend your self perception and, and amend your, your perception of the world around you, you know, mm-hmm. so, or to at the very least challenge it, if not amend it, you know? Um, and I think, and I think not that again, As you're saying, not that that means that we all come to the same place in terms of our thinking, but that um, I think that part of the canopy that you're talking about is relationship and it is trust and it Mm -hmm. is um, the maturity of like, well, we don't, there are some things we can't afford to disagree about. And we can't afford to like, even, even interpersonal conflicts where you can, you can just have to say at some point, you know, we're not ever going to agree on this, but I value you more than I value, Mm -hmm. you know being right or I value you more than I value whatever and I'm going to choose to move forward and I think that's that's under the canopy to me as well I just said a lot I said a lot of things there so pick which one you you, want to respond to I
0: I want to I think the my response will be in the form of a question of trying to uh, tying this to you know adult adolescence yep where and, and really looking at, and, you know, I think the disclaimer is always like when I sit, like when we use the word millennials, we're not like saying everybody, but it's right, a large, large trends that, you know, are, that affect a, a, a majority of people within the generation that we are part of, you know, born between, I don't know what year is, but a certain yeah. Year range, right? Yeah. So that's what we mean, right? We're not saying every single person is like this, but these are trends that are uh are documented. So thinking through that, you know, with regards to millennials and adult adolescents, what kind of groups are formed or are being formed by this fervency of belief and experience and and what 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 is what what is damaging about that Mm. you mentioned isolation and loneliness I think those are two things maybe you can elaborate on that and on top of that what are some of the the dangers that could come from that um, that you've maybe noticed you know you know you talked about you you work with with high schoolers but you know they're a little maybe a little bit down the line but
1: they're gen z but yeah
0: yeah but you know on prior to that What have you seen? Mm.
1: Well, maybe I'll talk about my own experience a little bit. Um, I think that I've been, I've been a part. I had a very formative faith experience in a very charismatic uh, group and to say upfront, so thankful for so much of it, like shaped Mm -hmm. my life really profoundly. Um, It was kind of my first really, intense experience of the love of God, like Mm. things I'm so thankful for that have defined me to this day. Um, but I think there's, there's also in some, like that was, that was one that was, it wasn't necessarily tied. It wasn't necessarily, it was loosely rooted in scripture, but like not in a very, uh, necessarily very like robust interpretation or engagement with scripture. And in terms of like being detached from kind of an overarching uh, mm-hmm. canopy of, well, t- being detached from like a broader base of knowledge mm-hmm. put it that way, since we're sticking to our terms. Um, <laughs> and I think that one of the things that I experienced out of that, well, there's, first of all, an intense pressure to perform because, mm-hmm. because performing is linked to the experience which is linked to the whole, you know, the whole thing. That's the the basis of the whole thing is the experience. So performing, um, and then I think for some people too, there's I didn't have this this particular struggle, but I saw a lot of people, um, and I see this in in other communities that are formulated around formed around experience. Um, there's people sacrifice. Uh, being known for belonging. Because hmm. um, because there's sort of, um, when, you're, when everyone is sort of coalesced around this one common experience, the other pieces hmm. of who they are, are less hmm. important. And, and sometimes those other pieces of you will conflict with the experience itself. Or you might have questions and doubts about the experience, hmm. but because the community is formed around that experience, there's um, there's not there's a resistance to anything that might threaten or distract from or pull attention from the experience.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I've seen that some too. Um, I'm trying to avoid naming communities or <laughs> organizations or whatever, but I think um, you know I think even just in, uh, we see it in the political parties, right? Like the second you start to question your party's nominee, whether, and this goes for both parties, you know, Republicans who are never Trumpers are like, you know, flogged and thrown out of the synagogue, so Mm -hmm. to speak. Mm -hmm. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, and same, same for Democrats who are Mm -hmm. reluctant to support Biden and Harris, you know? So there's, um, there's that sort of thing. Like there's no, there's no room for anything that is not, Mm -hmm. The the central, emotional, (laughs) visceral experience. Right, right. Rooted in that,
0: yeah. I think, um, I need to stop saying I think and just start saying what it it just
1: was.
0: (laughs) Last week, you you mentioned how our, you know, the millennial, one of the things about millennials is that, you know, we are pretty fragile. Mm -hmm. We we suffer a lot from anxiety and different things like that and as you're talking it the the term that comes to mind is is fragile communities
1: hmm. and
0: and it se- and that it seems like is what is it ends up happening is a bunch of fragile people is I, I remember um uh what's the guy's name he's a theologian um methodist guy wesley no he's a, he's a, he's a current guy he's uh um, oh. Oh gosh, I can't think of this dude's name. He's uh, he came to Conwell. Um, he's a pacifist. Stanley Hauerwas.
1: yes, there it is, <laughs> just as I pull it up. Okay, Stanley Howard Yeah. So
0: so Stanley Hauerwas once and you know came to Conwell and he gave a is like kind of like a fireside chat, and this was tangentially related, or this tangential point he made was like, you know, people out here are are lonely. And their cure for loneliness is to get married. And what he said: lonely people in marriage create a hellhole of togetherness. Oh wow! And, <laughs> and wow! You know, it's like this 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 idea that lonely people create they create fragile bonds uh, within a community. And so you have lonely people who are living their truths, afraid to encounter other truths then like come together continue coming together and it's like a like a like almost like like jenga you know it's like this big old tower that's built and then you start if you but if you take out one of the little pieces at the bottom the whole thing crumbles and you don't need to take out a whole lot yeah. of them it's a fragile edifice a fragile community and they become very dogmatic as well yeah it's almost like a gang, you know, there's one way in and no way out. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, think. yeah. It's you, you get jumped in uh, and, and there's no way to get out. And we're almost imprisoned in, in these communities because of, if, if we, if the, if the true, this truth here, it's not that it's, it's false, but it's not the only truth that itself is a problem that's a threat to the community yep right not even it's not even that falsehood is a threat to the community it's that other truth is a threat to the community yeah you know, what what is a potential antidote obviously you know when looking at this equation here you know you have experience and reflection obviously the answer is just to get some knowledge but how do you infuse knowledge into these communities in which that actually like in which truth is a threat to their foundation.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm just I'm processing this out loud, so it might this might be a little rough, but we're, I'm just gonna work backwards from what you've said. So if we have these these fragile communities that are basically just lonely people, connecting over something that is fragile because it's easily Mm -hmm. threatened. Mm -hmm. Um, And they need, they need these fragile connections in order to have belonging. Right. Even if it, even if it's, you know, skin deep or based solely on one, one factor of who they are, one piece of who they are. I think um, one, we have to start thinking about both in our individual lives and how we interact with people um, not predicating our worth on our perfection or our rightness or our, Hmm. you know, um, sort of philosophical, like correctness basically. So whether, whether or not we believe all of the right things and have all of the right mantras and, you know, um, whatever they are. And, um, and I think that, part of it is we have to, we have to start. I have to start treating myself as though my worth is not dependent on my rightness Hmm. or my perfection or, um, ticking all the boxes because that's what it's really about, right? Like I tick all of the boxes necessary for this group. So therefore I belong. So therefore I'm not alone. And if, if that, if my value and if the way that I treat others and their value is not dependent on them connecting with me on some arguably superficial level or, you know, a one dimensional level um, there is some safety to actually start challenging and exploring mm-hmm. and um, gaining some knowledge because then knowledge isn't a threat. If, mm-hmm. if, you know, espousing the right beliefs isn't going to break a relationship or exposing the wrong beliefs. Isn't going to, you know, break a relationship or exposing different beliefs, even, you know, two different truths. If, if exposing different beliefs, isn't going to break a relationship, then there is some safety to actually gain some knowledge.
0: I like that idea about safety and and I think just kind of in terms of thinking through how to sign off here, you know, you know, fragile communities is, is, um, you know, created by by fragile people. This idea of not tying our worth or identity to uh, one's correctness, you know, or quote unquote, alignment with what they experience. My mentors talk a lot about you know, last year, last week, I talk about you know adversity and the ability to overcome. So he says, like he says that one of the most important qualities you can have is to is to have courage. You know, and and you know, he's when he did martial arts, he, he did martial arts for a long time. He even taught his kids martial arts. His his uh, his sensei said that apart from technique, the most important quality you need to have is you need to have guts you'd have courage mm. right to actually be willing to go to another dojo and to challenge their uh, their style right and you have to have the courage to to learn your style and then to actually put it in the in the ring or in the dojo and see how it how it it works against other styles mm. and this is the key is that in the beginning when you encounter another truth, it's gonna be an opposition. It's gonna be oppositional, right? Like a, it's gonna be against, right? It, it is an opponent in, in a sense. But I think the, the the in order to move from having fragile communities to courageous communities, these are the ones that instead of seeing outside truths as threats, actually see them as opportunities for transformation. Mm. right? Like it takes courage to look at something that is, you know, like nowhere to go in like in group, out group, something that's out, you know, in an out group to see that as an opportunity rather than as a threat. Yes. Right. Like if this truth is supposed to be so tangible and so powerful, then why not see what happens when this other person or this other experience or this other truth comes in, what's going to happen. And, you know, the courage to include is more powerful than the fear that excludes. Mm. And that's where that I think is, is, is a, is a hopeful encouraging path to wisdom and to living more courageous lives rather than fearful ones. And, yeah. and that will, in turn create more courageous communities, not just for us, but then for, for, you know, future generations, you know, know, more courageous communities for, you know, people like, like Max.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm, That's good. One, one final thought for me, because we're talking about courage. Um, A friend of mine told me once, and I don't know if this is true, but I think it sounds true. So I'm just going to say that it is Um, that the word courage is derived. It's, it's a like French, root. it's comes from French and it means to take heart. And I think that's, that's like a really powerful image to, to take heart, to Mm. include and to take heart because this is an opportunity and um, not a threat. And um, I like that. That's powerful. Good so take up.
0: heart. So take heart, people. Yeah. Um, I, I like that the the courage to include is greater than the fear that excludes. Yep. Um that's something I'll be thinking about this week.
1: Same. Um, mm, good word.
0: Yeah, come on, preach, yeah. taking it back to the Pentecostal days. Uh but um And thanks again. It's been fun. It's always fun. Um, This has been uh, the Growing Pains podcast. Uh, Thanks for hanging with us. We'll catch y'all next time.